are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, you can do so on Facebook at the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group, and there you'll be able to interact with others who are listening and following along. Let us thank God now for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example and holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts, the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was, to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 197. We are reading from Volume 3, Book 5, Chapter 14, Paragraphs 153 to 161. Chapter 14. The sufferings and infirmities of St. Joseph in the last years of his life, and how the Queen of Heaven, his spouse, nursed him during that time. 153. A common defect in all of us, that are called to the light and to the profession of holy faith in the school of Christ our Lord is that of looking upon him too much as our Redeemer and not sufficiently as our teacher in our sufferings. Luke 24, 26. We all desire to reap the fruit of salvation and enter the portals of grace and glory, but we do not with like zeal seek to follow him on the way of the cross by which he entered upon and which he invites us to attain eternal glory. Matthew 16:24. Although as Catholics we do not fall into such insane errors as the heretics, for we know and profess that without exertion and labor, there can be no reward or crown, 2 Timothy 2:5, and that it is a sacrilegious blasphemy to avail oneself of the salvation of Christ in order to sin without remorse or restraint. Nevertheless, As far as really practicing the works inculcated by faith, some of the children of the church differ little from the children of darkness, for they look upon difficult and painful works as unnecessary for the following of Christ and for participation in his glory. 154. Let us throw off this error in our practice, and let us understand well that suffering was not only for Christ our Lord, but also for us that if he suffered labors and death as the Redeemer of the world, he suffered them also as our teacher, thereby inviting us, as his friends, to enter upon the way of his cross, so much so that his nearest friends receive the greatest share of suffering, and no one can merit heaven without the price of personal exertions. In imitation of his most holy mother, the apostles, martyrs, confessors, and virgins, and all his followers, have won their crown by labors, and those who have been most prepared for suffering have obtained so much the more abundant reward and the higher crown. 
it might be objected that our Lord was, at the same time, God and man, and that if he had given us the most conspicuous and wonderful example of suffering, he did it more in order to be admired than to be imitated. But this is only a bold and daring pretense on our part, for he can meet this objection with the example of his mother, our most pure and innocent queen, with that of her blessed spouse and of so many men and women, weak and deficient, as we ourselves, who were less guilty, but who have imitated him and followed him on the way of the cross. The Lord did not suffer only in order to excite our admiration, but in order that we imitate his example, and he did not let even his divinity stand in the way of labor and suffering, but allowed sorrow and suffering to overwhelm him in proportion to his innocence and sinlessness. 155. Along this royal highway of the cross, the Lord led the spouse of his blessed mother, St. Joseph, whom he loved above all the sons of men. In order to increase his merits and crown before the time of his meriting should come to an end, he visited him in the last years of his life with certain sicknesses, such as fever, violent headaches, and very painful rheumatisms, which greatly afflicted and weakened him. In the midst of these infirmities, he was suffering from another source, more sweet but extremely painful, namely from the fire of his ardent love, which was so vehement that the flights and ecstasies of his most pure soul would often have burst the bounds of his body if the Lord, who vouchsafed them, had not strengthened and comforted him against these agonies of love. In these sweet excesses, the Lord allowed him to suffer until his death, and on the account of natural weakness of his extenuated body, this exercise was the source of ineffable merits for the fortunate saint, not only because of the sufferings occasioned, but because of the love by which these sufferings were brought about. 156. Our great queen, his spouse, was a witness to all these mysteries, and as I have already stated in volume 2, 368, 381, 394, and 404, she knew the whole interior of the soul of St. Joseph, being thus rejoiced by the knowledge of having for her a spouse, a man so holy and so beloved of the Lord. She beheld and comprehended the sincerity and purity of his soul, his burning love, his exalted and heavenly thoughts, his dove-like patience and meekness in his grievous ailments and exquisite sufferings. She knew that he never complained either of those, nor of any of the other trials, nor ever asked for any relief in his wants and necessities, for he bore all with incomparable equanimity and greatness of soul. As his most prudent spouse contemplated and weighed all these heroic virtues of St. Joseph, she grew to look upon him with such a veneration as cannot ever be properly estimated by anyone. She labored with incredible joy for his support and comfort, and the greatest of his comforts was that she should prepare and administer his victuals with her own virginal hands. But as all her service seemed little in the eyes of the heavenly lady, compared to the necessities of her spouse, she sometimes in her love for him made use of her power as queen and mistress of all creation, and commended the food which she administered to him impart special strength and supply new life to this holy and just man of God. 157. This command of the great lady whom all creatures obeyed was fulfilled, and when St. Joseph tasted of the victuals which bore these blessings of sweetness, and when he perceived their effects, he was wont to say to the queen, My lady and spouse, 
What celestial food is this which vivifies me, rejoices my senses, restores my strength, and fills my soul and spirit with new delight? The Empress of Heaven served him his meals on bended knee, and when he was much disabled and suffering, she took off his shoes in the same posture. At other times she supported him in her arms, although the humble saint sought to rouse himself in order to forestall some of these ministrations of his spouse. He could not altogether prevent them, for she was intimately aware of all his sufferings and weaknesses and of the circumstances and occasions when he needed her assistance. At such times the heavenly nurse always hastened to assist him in his wants. Often also as the mistress of wisdom and of virtue, she comforted him by words of sweet consolation. In the last three years of his life when his infirmities increased, our queen attended upon him day and night and her only other employment was the service and ministration due to her most holy son. Jesus sometimes joined and assisted her in the care of her holy spouse, whenever he was not engaged in other necessary works. There was never a sick person, nor will there ever be one, who was so well nursed and comforted. Great was the happiness and worth of this man of God, St. Joseph, for he alone deserved to have for his spouse her, who was the spouse of the Holy Ghost. 158. But the heavenly lady was not satisfied with these proofs of her devotion toward Holy Joseph. She made use of other means for his relief and comfort. Several times she asked the Lord in her ardent charity to impose upon her the pain suffered by her spouse and release him therefrom. To gain her point, she, the mother and mistress of all sanctity, pleaded before the Most High, alleging that her debt was greater than that of all the earthborn, and that since she had not given the proper return, she was inferior to them, deserving all their sufferings, and offered her heart for all the manner of pain and suffering. She pleaded also the sanctity of St. Joseph, his purity, innocence, and the delight of the Lord in this heart, made according to that of his son. She asked for many blessings for him and gave most heartfelt thanks for having created a man so worthy of his favors, so full of justice and holiness. She invited the holy angels to give thanks to God for him, and in contemplating the glory and wisdom of the Lord, as shown in this man, she sang new hymns of praise. For on the one hand, she saw the pains and sufferings of her beloved spouse, which excited her pity and condolence. And on the other hand, she was aware of his merits and the delight of the Lord in this man, and how the saint pleased and glorified his God by his patience. The heavenly lady exercised different virtues suitable to the occasion and of so exalted a degree that she excited the admiration of the angelic spirits. Yet greater should be the admiration of us ignorant men to see that a mere creature so perfectly fulfilled so many different duties and that in her the anxiety of Martha should not interfere with the contemplation of Mary. She imitated in this the activity of the supernal spirits who guard and assist us without losing sight of the Most High. Matthew 18.10 But Mary far exceeded them in her attention to God, while engaged in bodily labor, of which they were incapable. Though she was a child of Adam, she lived like a heavenly spirit, occupying the superior part of her being in the exalted exercises of her divine love, and employing her inferior faculties and works of charity toward her spouse. 159 Sometimes, when the merciful queen perceived the bitterness and severity of the sufferings of St. Joseph, she was moved to tender pity, 
and then she would humbly ask permission of her most holy son to be allowed to command the natural sources and occasions of these pains to disappear, and thus put a stop to the sufferings of the just and beloved man of God. As all creatures obeyed the command of their great mistress, her holy spouse was then immediately relieved and rested from his pains, sometimes for a day, sometimes longer, until his ailments, according to the decree of the Almighty, again assumed sway for the increase of his merits. At other times she ordered the holy angels as their queen, though not in the form of a command, but of a request, to console St. Joseph and comfort him in his sorrows and labors, as the frail condition of his body demanded. Thereupon the angelic spirits would appear to St. Joseph in human forms, most beautiful and shining, and begin to speak to him of the divinity and its infinite perfections. Then they would raise their voices in sweetest harmony of celestial music, singing hymns of divine canticles by which they restored his drooping strength and inflamed the love of his purest soul. To rejoice him, the more he was specially informed not only of the source of these blessings and divine favors, but of the great holiness of his virginal spouse, of her singular love and charity in conversing with him and serving him, and of many other excellences and privileges of the great mistress of the world. All this together caused such effects in St. Joseph, and so raised his merits before God, as no tongue can express, nor any human understanding in this life can comprehend. Instruction given to me by the Queen of Heaven, Most Holy Mary. 160. My daughter, one of the virtuous works most pleasing to the Lord, and most fruitful for souls, is the loving care of the sick. By it is fulfilled to it a great extent that natural law which requires us to do to our neighbors what we wish them to do to us. In the gospel that is adduced as one of the works for which the Lord shall give eternal reward to the just. Matthew twenty five thirty four, And the failure to exercise this duty is alleged as one of the causes of the eternal damnation of the wicked. In the same place, the justice of this retribution is also explained, namely, as men are the children of the Eternal Father. The Lord accounts any good or ill done to our neighbor as done to his own children, whose part he takes. For so it is customary among human parents with regard to thyself, thou must moreover consider that thou art the mother of thy religious, and that they, just as thou thyself, are the spouse of thy blessed son. The fact that they have received of him less blessings should so much the more oblige thee to serve and nurse them in their sickness. On this account, I have on another occasion told thee that thou must consider thyself the infirmarian of all of them, as being inferior to them because of thy great obligations. I assign to thee thereby an office which is great in the house of the Lord. In order to fulfill its obligations, do not charge others with the work which thou canst do thyself in the service of the sick, and whatever on account of the duties of thy office thou canst not compass, be thou careful and commending to the special care of those who are appointed to discharge these duties by obedience. Besides common charity, there are other reasons why the religious should be attended to in their ailments, when their greatest care and solicitude, namely in order that their afflictions and necessities may not cause them to long for return to their parental homes and to the world. Be sure that in this way much harm enters the cloister. For human nature is so adverse to suffering that rather than feel the want of necessities, it will again face the greatest dangers of the soul. 161. In order to stir thee on toward proficiency in the exercise of this doctrine, the charity which I showed toward my spouse Joseph 
in his ailments should serve thee as a spur and encouragement. Very tardy is that charity and even the politeness which waits until the needy one asks for help. I did not wait, but hastened to assist before I was asked. My charity and attention anticipated the requests of my spouse, and thus I consoled him not only by my services, but by my loving solicitude and attention. I shared his sufferings and hardships with heartfelt compassion, but at the same time I praised the Most High and thanked him for the blessings of affliction conferred on his servant. If sometimes I sought to relieve his pains, it was not in order to deprive him of the occasion of meriting, but that he might, by this aid, excite himself to glorify so much the more the author of all goodness and holiness. And of these virtues I exhorted and encouraged him. With similar perfection shouldst thou exercise this noble virtue, providing for the needs of the sick and the weak, comforting them by thy compassion and words of advice, doing them all kinds of good service without wishing them to lose the reward of suffering. Let not thy carnal love disturb thee when thy sisters fall sick, although they be those who lovest or needest most, for thereby many souls, both in the world and in religion, lose the merit of their labors. The sorrow occasioned by the sight of sickness or danger in their friends disturbs their equanimity, and under the pretense of compassion, they begin to complain and refuse to submit themselves to the dispositions of divine providence. In all these things I have given thee an example, and I demand of thee to imitate it perfectly by following my footsteps. This concludes our reading today for day number 197. We have been reading from volume 3, chapter 14, paragraphs 153 to 161. Well, we hear about the suffering, really, and the passion of St. Joseph, we could call it. Just how at the end of his life he underwent all of these different sicknesses and ailments before his passing from this world. And we come to understand today suffering. That Jesus gave us a pattern of suffering by his passion and death on the cross. And so... There is a meaning to suffering, that Christ's suffering was redemptive. And so the suffering we experience then can be redemptive as well. That we can offer our suffering, that we surrender it to the Lord and we say, I give you the suffering I experience. May you use it for this intention. May you use it for your honor and for your glory. We can give meaning to the suffering that we experience. We heard today that Jesus is our teacher, and by his suffering, he invites us as his friends to enter upon the way of his cross. I think so many times we're afraid to embrace that cross of Christ. When we become aware of suffering in our life, cling to the cross of Christ and say, I bring you this suffering. I unite it to your cross. This line here in our reading today, in paragraph 157, there is never a sick person, nor will there ever be one, who is so well nursed and comforted. Talking about St. Joseph being cared for by Mary, being cared for by Jesus, who is the divine physician. Never was there a person who will ever have been so well nursed and comforted. It made me think of some of these stories of sick people in hospitals and some of them praying for a priest to come and visit or whatever. And 
I met a gentleman in Spain who lived in Philadelphia. He works at the St. John Neumann Shrine. And he was telling me about an unsolved mystery, literally, that television show, and how this was one of those episodes. And to be honest, I've seen many of those episodes, and I do recall it. And the story is, is that there was this young boy who was sick in the hospital, and this priest came and visited him. He prayed with him, blessed him, whatever. And later it was discovered as they asked the boy, well, who was the priest? And for whatever reason, there was a picture of St. John Neumann nearby, and he said it was this man. But of course, that man, John Neumann, had died many, many, many years earlier. But that boy who was so sick was miraculously healed. There are countless stories of that. Padre Pio visiting the bedside of someone who was sick, and then someone saying, Padre Pio was here. I know of an individual uh, whose grandfather was healed, and it was a priest from the Cristero War, also deceased, who came and blessed him. Yes, Joseph, very much cared for by the most perfect people to care for him. But we can think of some of these other miraculous stories as well. Finally, I think when someone is sick in their life, and maybe near the end, they begin to have some sort of supernatural experiences. And sometimes they'll begin seeing deceased loved ones, or they'll see angels, or maybe they'll see a saint. Well, Joseph had that same experience. Thereupon, the angelic spirits would appear to St. Joseph in human forms, most beautiful and shining, and begin to speak to him of the divinity and its infinite perfections. Then they would raise their voices in sweetest harmony of celestial music, singing hymns of divine canticles by which they restored his drooping strength. Whenever you're at the bedside of someone sick, and maybe someone who's terminal, someone who's going to pass quickly, be aware that there's probably something very holy going on around you. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.